They say that confession is good for the soul. You heard that expression before? A few years ago, a man in New York took that idea and he set up what he called an apology hotline. The idea was that people could call up and make their confessions anonymously to, to an answering machine. And, and the guy who set it up, he called himself Mr Apology, and he said he wanted to provide guilty New Yorkers with a road to redemption. This is what he said. He said, I think forgiveness is a very powerful thing, and not everyone has an outlet for that. Some people can't talk to family, don't have religion, or maybe they don't even know how to forgive themselves. It, it's a popular and powerful idea, isn't it? That, that desire to, to get things off your chest. It's, it comes from the, the general, the common human experience of our conscience doing its work and that idea to appease your conscience by getting things out in the open or at least to feel like you're getting things out in the open. Because, of course, Mr Apology's hotline really only covers half the story, right? Saying your apology to an anonymous phone line might have some temporary psychological benefit. It might make you feel better. But the goal of an apology is not just to get something off your chest, right? The ultimate goal of an apology should be forgiveness from the person that you have wronged. Now, that's obviously true when it comes to other people. It's even more true when it comes to God. And Psalm 32 really speaks to exactly that reality. The goodness, the goodness of acknowledging our sin, not just as a personal experience of how it makes me feel, but because it leads to the blessing of actual forgiveness from God. And this is where Psalm 32 begins, the blessing of forgiveness from God. And the first two verses, if you've got it there, open in front of you with me, David, the author who wrote this psalm, says the same thing three times, just in slightly different ways. Have a, have a look at it with me as I read. It's the blessing of sins forgiven. Verse 1, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's saying this is where blessing from God is found. That when God does not count your sin against you, that is what it means to be blessed by God, to know the favour of God. That is the person who can bask in the warm glow of knowing that God is smiling down upon them now and in eternity is the person whose sin he has forgiven. Now, I think that's pretty clear and straightforward here. But it's worth recognising how different that is to what most people assume it means to be favoured or blessed by God. See, most people assume that standing in God's favour and blessing is something that we earn as a reward for pleasing him. That God is like a boss who's handing out Christmas bonuses at the end of the year to his, you know, people who've done well. Or he's like a teacher who gives special treatment to the teacher's pet that we earn God's favour by chalking up the right kind of brownie points that will make God happy with us. And what that tends to look like when we think that way is that there, there are two common mistakes that people can make on this issue, two common myths about God and what it means to, to be in God's favour. There's the good works myth and there's the religion myth. The good works myth 
says, well, as long as I do good things, or at least as long as my good things outweigh my bad things, as long as I'm a reasonably decent person, then surely God will be happy with me. I'll have the blessing of God smile upon me and all that I think that involves. That's a reward for my good works. That's the good works myth. And the religion myth is, is really quite similar, but with more of a religious flavour to it, where we say, well, as long as I jump through the right religion hoops, as long as I check the boxes that show I'm a, a God type of person, I'm a, I'm a religious person, then God will pat me on the head and, and I'll be in his good books. But neither of those two things are what this psalm or the Bible as a whole tell us about being blessed and favoured by God. And, and Ben and Alicia know that baptism, for example, is not what gets them or, or Piper into God's good books, so to speak. Now, we see here and throughout the Bible that God's favour towards us, God's blessing on us, actually comes from his end and not from ours. Not as a reward for being worthy, but as forgiveness. When our sins are covered over, when our sins are not counted against us. And that idea really is, is, is the jewel in the crown of the, of the message of, of the Bible. It, it gives joy and confidence that we can stand before God knowing that we are loved and forgiven. Not because we've, we've done right, but because that's what God is like. That is great news. Although it's, it's been my experience that this good news, this blessing of forgiveness can also be a great barrier when it comes to God. Because forgiveness from God goes hand in hand with recognising my need for forgiveness, acknowledging that, recognising that without forgiveness, I actually stand guilty before God, stained by sin, unworthy of God, deserving his judgment. And I know, in my experience, I know that can be a real barrier that prevents people from coming to Jesus. Because we don't want to hear that. We don't want to acknowledge that about ourselves. And so you've got this thing where the idea of forgiveness is, is great. It's really nice. But the soul-searching honesty and, and the rawness that can sometimes go with that is not something that we usually associate with blessing. The easier and more comfortable option in the short term, we think, is to try and hide the unpleasant things. Try and pretend that they're not really there or not as bad as, as they might be. And so what we, what we see is that there is a certain honesty and humility and openness towards God and, and for myself that must go hand in hand with this blessing of forgiveness that this psalm speaks about. Otherwise, the offer of forgiveness simply becomes a barrier that I'm not willing to step past because I'm not willing to acknowledge that. And that's exactly what David goes on to speak about in the next verses. That the blessing of sin forgiven does actually go hand in hand with the honesty of a soul laid bare before God. As he speaks of God's heavy hand upon him. And it begins really at the end of verse 2, the last line of verse 2, where he says, Blessed is the one in whose spirit is no deceit. Blessed is the one in whose spirit is no deceit. That is, the person who, who's not trying to deceive themselves, who's not trying to lie to themselves and God about my need for forgiveness. And then he goes on in, in verse 3 to speak of his experience 
of this, and he speaks of it from the negative side to, to begin with, he speaks of the soul-sapping weight that he felt of unconfessed sin, of trying to hide his sin from God and from himself, and, and what felt like God's heavy hand upon him. Have a look with verse, in verse 3 with me now and verse 4. He says this, he says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. When I kept silent, he says, he's, he's, he's talking about keeping silent, the, un, the silence of unconfessed, unacknowledged, hiding his sin. The silence of, of trying to push that down, of trying to convince yourself that it didn't really matter or it's not that big of a deal, or of rewriting history in your own mind to, to smooth over the blemishes, the failures. But you see, in David's experience, it didn't work. He didn't find joy or peace in his denial, his hiding, his silence when it came to his sin. In fact, just the opposite. He found it to be an oppressive burden. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. That's a pretty good description of the lethargy of, you get in, in the summer heat, isn't it? I think we're in for one of those days today where that, that heat that just kind of saps the energy from your bones and, and you're meant to be up and about and doing things, but it feels like the only comfortable position is horizontal. And even then, you can't escape your own body heat. And at night, in that kind of heat, when you're supposed to be sleeping, you can't because the heat just smothers you like a heavy blanket that you can't take off. And so you can't sleep. Can you tell we don't have air conditioning in our bedroom? That oppressive, energy-sapping weight, like the relentless heat of summer, that's how David describes this experience of unconfessed sin of not coming clean with God. Although as unpleasant as it might be, even that in itself is a blessing. God's heavy hand upon him that he describes there is actually helping him to not sit comfortably with his sin. And so what it did was it brought him humbly to his knees before God. And so this experience of the weight of a guilty conscience that that we do experience... That's a kindness from God. It draws us closer to himself, not trying to hide from him what we ultimately cannot hide from him. And the New Testament actually talks about this kind of thing as being the loving discipline of a God who loves us, like a father who corrects his children, letting them know when they're going off track. The weight of of an uneasy conscience is a blessing from God. That's God's heavy hand. But the real blessing, as we, as we continue in the next verses, is the reality of forgiveness from God, that God is always ready to offer. Have a look at verse 5 with me now. <clears throat> then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. This is the blessing that David is talking about. The joy of forgiveness, the goodness of opening myself up to God, not trying to cover my sin anymore, but letting God cover it. So he says there, I did not cover up 
my iniquity. Like the kid who tries to cover up when he smashes his mum's best vase because he was playing ball in the house when he shouldn't have been and so he puts the bits in secretly in the outside bin and I see a few kids getting tapped on the shoulder now. Puts maybe some picture frames in front of where the vase used to be and hopes nobody notices. Of course, they're only fooling themselves. And David says he's not going to be that person anymore. He's not going to be the person who tries to cover up those things that really he can't cover up. And in that moment, he discovers, or really he remembers, that God covers it himself. Like he said back in verse 2. And so what he's describing here is not just some temporary psychological benefit of getting things off your chest like we like to do sometimes. And this is where what David says here is so different and so much better than Mr Apology's hotline. Acknowledging our sin to God is speaking to the person who's actually able to forgive us. And in the New Testament, Romans chapter 4 quotes this very psalm to speak of the reality of forgiveness by God. That because of Jesus, God looks at you and he doesn't hold against you those things that, that he should hold against you because he forgives you. Forgiveness from God is what ultimately matters even more than the feeling of easing a guilty conscience. And, and, and forgiveness is really in, in the DNA of God. It's, it's, it's in his character. We see it right through the Old Testament and the Psalms like we're, we're reading here. And now, and this is, this is such good news, now that forgiveness is a permanent reality for everyone who comes to God through Jesus, trusting him in repentance, because Jesus has covered our sin with his blood. And as a result, as I said, we don't just have the easing of a guilty conscience like we might want. Even better than that, we have the reality of forgiveness. We have escaped from judgment. We are welcomed into God's family and have eternal life with him. And can I say, if you're here today and you don't know this reality personally for yourself, the reality of forgiven sins by God, that this is what matters. There is no pathway to God or to blessing or to the good life or whatever it, whatever it is that we might like. There is no way that bypasses forgiveness, that somehow avoids the need to acknowledge my sin and receive forgiveness from God. But once we recognise that and acknowledge it to God, we can take hold of this blessing that is promised to us here and the joy that goes with it. It's as simple as that. And... Not just for people who maybe discover this for the first time, but this experience that David describes is also an ongoing reality in the life of the Christian. Acknowledging sin, knowing forgiveness and the joy of that. We live this reality day to day. It's a regular part of the Christian life. Now that's, that's not to say, and this is important to understand, it's not to say that Christians move in and out of forgiveness depending on our willingness to, to acknowledge that to God, as if we keep moving in, God, in and out of God's good books, you know, between the red and the black, so to speak, forgiven and not forgiven. That's not what this is saying. And occasionally, actually, I get a, a call from the hospital from someone who's uh, on their deathbed, or more commonly from from a relative of theirs, I remember I received a call like this just last year, 
uh, from someone who's concerned that they've got things on their conscience, on their heart, on their life that hasn't been dealt with, that they haven't had washed away by God, that hasn't been cleansed, and they need to have that dealt with. They don't want to die with, with red on their ledger, so to speak. And I have to say to them, actually, no, it doesn't, doesn't work like that. The forgiveness that comes through Jesus is a once-for-all thing. If your trust is in Jesus, then your forgiveness is permanent. And, and yet, still the character of the Christian life, the nature of that relationship that we have with God through Jesus and, and of trusting Jesus, is one of ongoing acknowledging our sin and, and turning that over to God, repenting, knowing the forgiveness that comes through Jesus, trusting that. Because just as my sin continues each day, so my need to acknowledge that continues each day. And so that I turn away from it, as, as we'll see in a moment, but also so that I know the experience of what David describes here, the, the, the joy of knowing each day that I'm forgiven by God. And we can rob ourselves of that joy when we refuse to hear the promise of forgiveness. And there's a couple of different ways, I think, that I've experienced that we can get this wrong. I think of uh, one friend in particular that is really big on the self-reflection kind of stuff that David talks about here, the assessing his, his soul. But all that really means for him is this morbid obsession with his sin and an unwillingness to let go of that. And so he ends up wallowing in his guilt. And maybe that's something that you experience too. That's not what this psalm is saying. That's refusing to hear the promise of forgiveness that God offers through Jesus. But far more common in my experience is when we do what David does here, trying to hide our sin from God, even as Christians, things that we try to hide from him. And so perhaps we just bumble along in blissful ignorance, unaware of my sin and the seriousness that God takes it. But of course, any relationship, any relationship at all where you just carry on in blissful ignorance about how much you're offending the other person, that's not going to be a good relationship, is it? I mean, think of a friendship where that happens or a marriage where that happens, just carrying along in blissful ignorance of how much you're offending the other person. It's not going to be good. And when it comes to God, not only is it denying us of the joy of forgiveness, it's not going to help us to correct and change our life in the way that God wants us to, which is where the psalm moves in the final section. Have a look with me at the kind of life that the person who is open and honest before God and knows that they're forgiven, the kind of life that they live, that is a life that is open to God's loving eye and to God's instruction. You see it in verse 8 in particular. Have a look at verse 8. And the eye in this verse is God speaking to us. He says to the person who is open to him, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's saying that, that if I come to God conscious of my sin and, and do that openly, examining my conscience, if I'm open to God in that way, then verse 8 will be my experience. I'll be more open to God's instruction and to God's teaching and his leading. And so I'll be more likely to live the way that he wants me to. And the opposite of that is in the next verse, in verse 9. 
that is a conscience that is hardened and resistant to God's instruction, like a stubborn mule that always wants to go its own way. Have a look at verse 9. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Now, I have to admit I've never trained a mule, but I have had trouble riding a horse when it wants to go this way and I want to go this way. It's not a fun experience. This is saying that that, that idea of continued unexamined sin, it causes stubbornness in that sin so that I'm not really noticing it anymore and I become increasingly resistant to God's leading in that, in that area. And so the question for us is, which of those do we want to be, verse 8 or verse 9? Someone who is open to God's instruction, verse 8, or someone who needs to be dragged along, kicking and screaming, so to speak. Now, as I said, the main point of this psalm is that when I come openly to God, acknowledging my sin, I find the blessing of forgiveness. But as we continue down that track, we discover that it also leads us into the kind of life that God wants us to live. It keeps me sensitive to God's instruction. It shows me the places in my life where I'm not in line with the way that God wants me to live. And so God will guide, so it will guide me back so that I don't sit comfortably with continued sin. That's a life that is open to God's loving eye. And so I wonder if I could just finish now with a, a question for each of us and then a, an idea for a practical application. The question is, are you living this reality of Psalm 32 for yourself personally? That is, the examined life in the confidence of forgiveness. Trusting Jesus that his blood has covered your sin and so you can be open with God and not trying to hide. Are you living that life? That's the question. The the practical idea is, is this. To, to try and develop a regular habit of private, prayerful self-reflection. Maybe at the end of the day, maybe at the start of a, of a new day. It's often helpful to do it with the Bible open in front of us as we read, read the Bible because that's where God speaks to us and provides input to our lives to help us as we reflect. But just that idea of reflecting on the day that has been or on the week that has been, thinking about my actions my thoughts, my motivations, and bringing those things before God in prayer, particularly bringing my sin before God in prayer and turning away from it and doing that confidently because I know and trust the blessing of forgiveness from God because he has promised it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, it it is at the same time a profoundly wonderful thing to to know that you offer free forgiveness to us and yet it, it is at the same time somewhat intimidating the idea of of being completely open and honest before you and so father we ask you help us to trust your promise to us that you have extended unconditional forgiveness to us through jesus we ask that you will help us to believe that and as a result to to turn to you through him and we pray these things in jesus name Amen.